just to see how far down it really is. Robbing a bank, jumping on a train, old antiques a man alone can entertain. Takes all your power, prove that you don't care. Welcome back to the Two Months Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Marshall, and I'm with, he is here with his third visit to the podcast. We have the Bob father, Bob McKenzie. Bob, how's it going? Excellent, Joshua. How about you? Yeah, excellent too. You know, can't complain. Uh, You know, I saw that you got your vaccine shot not too long ago and, you know, and I was very fortunate with the company I work for. I got mine uh, last week too. So, you know, it looks like the, uh, the light is, uh, is being seen right now at the end of the tunnel here. Yeah, for some of us, I guess. And yeah. but it's boy, it's like here in Ontario. I mean, we're going through another wave, and things are getting further locked down, and there's all sorts of controversy about that. So yeah, it's it's been quite a year. I I felt like saying yesterday when it was April Fools. I go, it's been a great April Fools year. You, we can end it now. Yeah, no, that would have been a probably a popular tweet. Everyone's kind of felt that. So hopefully for other people, things get better too. And, you know, we want to dedicate this episode to the frontline workers. You guys are the real heroes here. So thank you for everything you guys are doing. Yep. And uh, so, yeah, you're back in Canada now. So how was the travel back home and how are things going? Travel was great. Um, you know, I, I went to Florida in January. I did the World Juniors in the bubble in it. Um, came home and shortly after coming home, less than a week after I came home, uh, flew to Florida and I've got a home there. And, um, so I was able to, uh, January 11th, went to Florida and, um, it was great. Um, I mean, it allowed me to do the third and uh, sorry, the final year of my contract with NBC, I was able to fly from Southwest Florida to, uh, JFK in New York and, and car service up to Stanford, Connecticut. And I was able to do 10 uh, NBC appearances um, on Wednesday night hockey. So that was great. Which yeah. just felt, you know, I didn't love the idea of traveling. Um, you know, flying was not turning my, doesn't turn your crank at the best of times, but during a pandemic, it's even less so. But you know what? It actually worked out pretty well. Uh, I flew Delta. They blocked off all the middle seats. Uh, the flights up were really empty. The flights home were more crowded, but still with the middle seats, I don't know if it makes a big difference or not, but from a psychological point of view, it did to me. Yeah. So it was, it was nice to have a little bit of normal, you know, normalcy, if you want to call it that, to be able to fly to work, to get an actual in-studio venue, not do something by Zoom um, and interact with the people there. It was great. I really enjoyed it. And um I was able to go back to Florida and still enjoy my semi-retired life and hit the golf courses and go to the beach and, and go for a walk. And the weather was fantastic. And I don't want to, uh, you know, some Canadians get mad when you talk about how nice it is in Florida in the winter yeah. because we wear our harsh winters like a badge of honor. And I did that for a lot of years. And now I'm 64 going on 65 and I don't want the badge of honor anymore. I want to be that uh, soft, uh Canadian snowbird who goes and enjoys the really nice weather and doesn't ever have to warm up a car 
or scrape a window or drive through a snowdrift. Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. I'm working in uh, BC right now and you know, the weather's better there than it is uh, in Alberta. So I'm on shift work, but yeah, I can, I can relate to that, what you're saying. And I think some people that listen can too. I think that's awesome. So you deserve it though too, right? So you've worked, uh, you grinded and worked hard, Bob. You're the best in the business for a reason. So how's your schedule going to look here with TSN now that you're back in Canada with obviously the trade center coming up here too. So yeah, the, the reason I came home when I did, and I, I drove home, I, I drove from, it was actually, it was like a little bit of planes, trains, and automobiles, but mostly automobiles. I, I drove from Southwest Florida to Savannah, Georgia, a week ago Sunday. Um, I was able to stop in St. Augustine, Florida, and I got my uh, Johnson & Johnson one-shot COVID vaccine there. Went to Savannah, stayed in Savannah on Sunday night, drove all the way from Savannah, Georgia to Stamford, Connecticut on the Monday. Um, was in Stamford on Tuesday and Wednesday, did my NBC gig on the Wednesday, and then I drove home from Stamford to uh, to my home and crossed the border uh, a week ago yesterday, a week ago Thursday. So I'm in, I think today is day nine of quarantine, and uh, it's it's gone well so far. And uh, yeah, so I had to get the quarantine in in order to be free to get out uh, to do Trade Center on Monday, April 12th, and maybe be in studio the day before on the 11th. So that was the result of, that was why I did the timing that I did. And uh, yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to uh, to Trade Center, uh, kind of slowly ramping back up. Uh, working at NBC all those weeks kind of helped me, keep me in the loop a little bit. Yeah, um, I'm not going to be as efficient and uh, proficient as I used to be, but I'm going to try and help out Greg's and Pierre and Frank Cervalli as best I can on deadline day. And we'll, I don't know what to make of the deadline this year. Um, the, 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 the reduction of the quarantine from 14 to seven days will really help a lot. Yeah. Um, Canadian teams might be much more open now to doing something where they know they can get a guy in seven days. Yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll see if, uh, how busy it is. I, I suspect it, it's only going to be at best moderately busy. Um, a flat cap. Um, some teams that do have cap room, they don't want to spend the money, um, and the quarantine stuff on top of that. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think obviously Montreal kind of jumped the gun on that, getting Eric Stahl, and you know that quarantine situation probably helped out too. So we'll start there. What's your thoughts on the Hab season so far, and and the trade getting Eric Stahl? Well, I mean, it's been all over the map. I mean, they were really good early. And they were really bad for a while, and it cost Claude Julian and Stefan Waite their jobs, Kirk Muller as well. Um, and, and then they kind of got shut down there for a while with uh, on the COVID protocols and had a break in the schedule as well. And so, you know, they look like they've come out of it here pretty good and ready to make another charge. So it's, it's, it's real hard to read teams in this shortened season. Everybody was wound up about the Leafs early on, and then everybody fell off the bandwagon. And, and you know, the normal ebb and flow of an 82-game season usually gives you a, a good idea of where teams are at. Um, with this shortened season, the running hot and cold thing, which I've come to expect from all the teams, and I think we've seen it with all the teams. Yeah. Um, the 52 games will probably tell you less about the teams and, and, and more about 
who's going to get hot at the right time of the year? Because the, the playoffs are going to be basically what would normally be games 53 through, you know, 68 or whatever. Um, and, and who knows at any given time in a season, at that point of the season, does the best team rise to the top or is it just a team that gets hot? So your guess is as good as mine when it comes to this. Yeah. Yeah. I know it, it's definitely been interesting because like you said, everyone's kind of had their ups and downs. Do you, do you expect the Habs to kind of still be, you know, buyers here, Bob? Well, Mark Bergevin keeps on saying oh, that I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing anything. And just like Mark Bergevin said, I'm not trading PK Subban. I'm not trading PK Subban. And then he traded PK Subban. And, and then like the week leading up to the Eric Stahl trade, uh, we're not making any moves. I don't anticipate making any moves. We're tight to the cap. I don't think we're going to do anything. Lo and behold, Eric Stahl. After the Stahl deal is done, I don't think we're doing anything. I think we're set now. We're too tight to the cap. I think what he'd like to do is probably give himself a little flexibility. And and if he could move a contract or two, and I don't know whether that's Arturi Lekkinen, who's going to be an RFA, or Paul Byron. It's not going to be easy to move contracts in this environment, but I think he's probably looking for a little more cap flexibility. And if he was able to somehow get that, then maybe he would want to add another piece to the puzzle. But um, it uh, for now, I'm, I'm, I'm not anticipating anything huge in Montreal. But yeah. as I said, Mark Bergerman doth protest too much when people ask him about trades. Yeah, he probably, says he's not doing anything and then he turns around and does it. So You probably, get, you probably can see that poker face too far away and you see... You might be like, yeah, I don't know about that. So um, speaking of, you know, and talk about the Leafs here, we'll move on to them. You know, I'm a Leaf fan, but, uh, you know, it's been up and down. Uh, they've had, you know, mostly of a, a good season. But, you know, do you think this year they should go all in, Bob? You know, like I know you're not a big predictor, but uh, and a guy that does that. But do you think this is a year that, you know, you should probably put all the cards in? Yeah, I wouldn't say all the cards, but I think they've already kind of, you know, Kyle Dubas served notice when he when he did that news conference two or three weeks ago. Um, and they asked him about, you know, would, you know, would you would you trade first round picks prospects? The answer was yes. Simple as that. And so right away, people wonder, well, does that mean Rasmus Sandin? And then afterwards, it kind of filtered out, well, probably not Sandin. They don't view him as much as a prospect as maybe even a player. Um, and they're probably going to need them. But, you know, as soon as I saw that, I thought, oh, boy, uh, Nick Robertson, uh, you know, get your bags packed. Yeah. Or be ready to get your bags packed. Um, so, yeah, I believe that, you know, they, I think Kyle Dubas and the Toronto Maple Leafs want to do whatever they can um, to try and improve the team. And all season long, they've been saying they need, they need a forward. Um, you know, they're calling it like a top seven. Um, because they feel like they've they've got a pretty good top six or seven already. They'd like to supplement that at the higher end, but somebody who can play in their um, let, let's put it this way, you, you know, I, I call it a, a middle six forward because their top three are pretty much carved in stone, and then you've got that middle six. So somebody who can play on the second line if they need to, or on the third line, but might make an impact there. So that's their wish list. I personally, just opinion, um, and I've got a lot more opinions now and less information, you know, that I'm semi-retired. Yeah. And that, and I realize the cap's an issue for them and that, but boy, oh boy, I still think they, they could use another defenseman. Um, I'm a big Justin Hall fan. I think he's a really 
good NHL defenseman. But I think when you play him religiously in your top four, that you see an ebb and flow in his game, in a market correction in his game. He was going great guns, and everybody was saying, see, told you, he's a top four guy. And then there was a stretch of about when the Leafs were struggling. He also, I thought, he really struggled. And that's not to say that he won't bounce back and play better or that he hasn't already bounced back and played better. But I still think if they, they could have found themselves a top four slash five guy who, when if Hall's game's not top four and more third pair, they have somebody who fits into that slot. And whether that was a rental like David Savard or something along those lines, but with the cap and with the assets they've got, I suppose their focus seems to be more on the forward. But um, And and the, the difficulty they've had on the power play and the difficulty they've had scoring at times lately lends itself to that validity of, of that opinion that they need another stick up front. Yeah. But um, I think they probably need both. Um, but we'll see if they get it. And, uh, and even then, it's, I mean, as I say, these playoffs are going to be a crapshoot. I agree there where they need either to like, they need both at defenseman. Like I think the last game Travis Dermott played, he only played, I think it was less than, you know, eight minutes. So that last spot on the third pairing is still a need. And I think Alex Galchenyuk has looked good since coming in, especially the last two games. He's looked, he's looked pretty good. So I don't know if that kind of, you know, eases things a bit, but what does he look like after, you know, the trade deadline too, right? Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, at times VC looked really good this year. Now he's gone at good times. Travis Boyd looked good this year. Now he's gone on waivers. They lost some of their, their depth on that front, but they feel like Galchenyuk can, can, can plug in there and be no different than those other guys or maybe even be better. And so far, so good. We'll, uh, yeah. we'll see. Yeah. And with Tyler Ennis on waivers, uh, as we record this early Friday morning, I wonder if they try to go back after him after losing a couple of debt players. Um, do others place them on waivers? But if it's done right the first time, you don't have to redo it. If you get Pete's concrete to pour your driveway, you don't need a repeat. When your patio is a PDO, you don't need a repeat. When Pete's concrete fixes your sidewalk, all it takes is once. You don't need a repeat. And if your basement leaks, a Pete's repair helps avoid a repeat. Get it done right the first time with the colors and textures you want so you don't have to redo it. For concrete, you can choose Pete's or repeats. Pete's Concrete. Uh, we'll shift gears to Alberta. What's your thoughts on both the Alberta teams here? We'll start with the Oilers. You know, it's a pretty strong year. Darnell Nurse is having a great year. He's putting himself in the conversation for the Norris and even uh, the Olympic team too. So what's your thoughts there with, with the Oilers? Well, I, I think there's a number of factors. Obviously, McDavid is is otherworldly. He's taken it to another level. Um, you know, Drysaddle's great. Um, and as you said, at a time when he really needed to emerge, Darnell Nurse has done that with the uh, with the, the season long absence of a Oscar Clefbaum. So that that's really helped um, bridge the the gap that they might have otherwise felt there. And but let's also be honest here. And this is true for every team. It's show me a team that's doing well and I'll show you a goalie with a high save percentage. Show me a team that's not doing well and I'll show you a goalie with a low save percentage. And I don't ever want to just default to the goalies carrying the day here. And I'm not saying that about the Oilers, but Mike Smith's game has been absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And and so as long as they continue to get that, but, but you know, the thing you never know, and, and, and conversely, as, as a Leaf fan, you know that, 
Now, Jack Campbell's been great, but it doesn't look like he's 100% healthy. Can't play back-to-back games, it seems. I don't mean back-to-back nights. I just mean back-to-back games. Yeah. Even with a few days in between them. Um, you know, and they're, they're trying to get Freddie Anderson right. So, you know, as long as Mike Smith continues to play the way that he's playing, and you've got Dreisaitl and McDavid leading the way and Nurse leading the charge on the blue line, Edmonton Oilers fans have plenty of reason to be really, really, really optimistic about the way their team is playing. Um, that said, I mean, if Mike Smith doesn't play well for two weeks and it's the first two weeks of the playoffs, all bets are off. And But yeah. that's, that's hockey, and uh, that's really the nature of certainly this division so far this season. Yeah. And with the with the Flames, would you say they're probably the most disappointing team this year? Yeah, very much so. I I thought Markstrom would really make a difference, but you also knew that in order for Markstrom to make a difference, you know the old cliche: the best players have to be the best players. You need a lot from Monahan and Goodrow, and at times Goodrow's given it to them, but obviously not enough, and certainly not consistently enough. And of course, everybody knows the Daryl Sutter soundbite now about. Game number 500 for Johnny Goodrow and hope he's better than he was in 499. And overall, just the, the overall feeling, you know, and when Sutter first came in and then they reeled off those three wins, it was like, wow, what a difference Daryl makes. But since then, it's, now we've raised so many questions. So Matthew Kachuk's minutes are down and he's not playing the way that Matthew Kachuk can play under Sutter. And, and uh, so suddenly there's all these questions over and above the major questions we had about the flames because I think a lot of us thought, well, maybe Daryl is going to be that guy that gets them to fire on all cylinders and we haven't seen it. So, you know, are they a flawed team in terms of the way they're constructed? Well, I will put it this way. If, if Monaghan and Goodrow, and now you can throw Kachuk into that mix, if they, don't, if they don't play a lot better. The answer is yeah. 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 And a big game, big game tonight against the, the Edmonton Oilers. So we'll see what they can do. It's, you know, it's Daryl Sutter. So I have a tough time counting him out. You know, his resume is pretty good as a coach. So for some reason, I think in the back of my mind, something, something might click, but you know, a lot as, as some people in, in our, in this industry have said at times that uh, Goudreau and Monaghan sometimes have a tough time showing up when the games count and big games show up. So is there anything better than fresh mowed grass at the ballpark on opening day? How about freshly groomed balls? Our sponsors at Manscaped, the global leaders in below-the-waist grooming, are here to help you strike out your bush for good. Hold on, folks. I've just been handed an urgent announcement. We head to Too Much Park, where Rupper will break the news. As of today, as of today, as of today I am leaving Grand 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 I have signed, 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 and the lawn and the lawn 2.0, a lucrative deal. It wasn't, it wasn't hard at all. I would like to thank my friends, 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 family, family, and most importantly, my teammates. Being with Manscaped today, today, I consider myself the luckiest, luckiest person, person, person to ever play the game. Thank you, thank you, thank you. What an announcement, folks. Rupper from Too Much Podcast has officially switched to Manscaped and the Lawnmower 3.0. With baseball right around the corner, you want to hit a home run with that special someone. Then step up to the plate with the Lawnmower 3.0. Go deep. And I mean 
real deep with Manscaped and the Lawnmower 3.0. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code Two Muts at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com. And use the code Two Muts. Baseball's back. Don't let your pubes get out of whack. We'll shift gears to Vancouver. They have their COVID situation right now. So they're going to, looks like they'll be down for, obviously, as a, the NHL posted yesterday to at least a, a week and could be longer. But uh, what do you make of their season so far? And Pedersen's been out for a good chunk of the season too. And, you know, Demko's showed some some great signs, playoff Demko. And what do you think of his contract that he just got to? Yeah, well, I mean, the Canucks seasons be weird because they came out of the gate so poorly and everybody was like going nuts. and then. They started to rally, and they started to rally, as you pointed out, largely on the strength of what Demko was doing, um, but and and largely at times without Pedersen doing what they anticipated Pedersen would do, and uh, so it's been a, a weird year in in Vancouver, um, where it went from raging pessimism to oh maybe there's a glimmer of hope to we don't really know, but it's still not great and. And it's and and the cloud over the team seems to be well, what's going to happen? You know, they got the Demko deal done, which is great. And if I when I was not semi-retired, I remember everything perfectly. Was it what is it five times five? Correct. I forget yep. something yep. like that. Yep. So, anyways, um, in the, in the short term, you know, it might be viewed as an overpayment, but not if he keeps playing the way that he's playing. Um, but longer term, they bought multiple years of free agency, so you've got to pay the price for that. Um, some people think, and I haven't done the deep dive on this because, as I said, I'm enjoying semi-retired life. <laughs> but um, you know, it might suggest that they want to do short-term deals with um, with Pedersen and Hughes, do more bridge-type deals um, to try and facilitate being as good as they can for the next year or two or three without having to throw a lot of bodies overboard. But I mean, you know, the frustration in Vancouver is what, and it was enunciated at the time that it was happening, but they invested a lot of money on the bottom half of their lineup on contracts that were too many years for, for too big a cap hit. So for the Russells and the Beagles and, and others of the world, um, it, you know, and, and the fact that Erickson didn't pan out, you know, Erickson was never anticipated being a depth player, but, it just didn't work out. Um, and, and that's not unique to the Vancouver marketplace. I mean, there's lots of teams that get out there on July 1 and take a swing at somebody and they think it's going to be good and it doesn't work out. Yeah. But the fact that you've got a guy who at various times is being a healthy scratch taxi squad guy making six mil. And, and then you've got other guys in the bottom half of the lineup. And, you know, and, and when the Canucks are playing well, they, they get some mileage out of the bottom half of their lineup. Those guys are, those guys can be useful players, but if it limits you in terms of what you can do with your, your, your marquee guys in terms of your contracts, well, then it becomes problematic. So, well, it's kind of a really mixed sort of bag in Vancouver from what I see. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, I do like the the young mix that they have. And, you know, once they can clear some cap, I think, you know, things things will kind of get better with them, you know, like, you know, Pedersen. But we'll see what happens with Pedersen and Hughes and, and their next contracts. I think if they can get those contracts combined together under $15 million around that price, I think that would be really good for that organization. Um, we'll move to the Winnipeg Jets. Obviously, it seems like their main need might be a left shot defenseman. 
you know, uh, Matthias Ekholm's names out there. Would, in your opinion, Bob, would that be the same thing? Do you do you view them as, you know, obviously, I think they're one of the best teams, if not the best team in the Canadian division. But I think maybe that missing link is that left shot defenseman. Yeah, for sure. They, they need help on the blue line. Um, they've got Hellebuck, who's as good as anybody in that, um, more nights than not. Um, and they've got, you know, tremendous offensive firepower uh, led by Shifley. But, I mean, Nick Ehlers has emerged as an elite player in the National Hockey League. He's one of the better wingers now in the entire NHL. Um, and, and Kyle Connors, you know, money in the bank when it comes to scoring 30 goals. Uh, so it's um, it's a good team. And, um, you know, they're trying, still trying to find their way on, on defense. And, and yeah, the, um, you know, Ekholm would make all the sense in the world for them. I don't know if Nashville is going to trade him or not. The Nationals yeah. played their way back into contention. Yeah. Um, and, you know, some teams on the Ekholm equation, you know, if you acquire a guy like Ekholm, you've got to have the ability to whatever your acquisition cost is. And if David Poyle does trade Ekholm, it's going to be for a real blue chip prospect and a first round pick and maybe something else. And when you get Ekholm in, you've got to add to the acquisition cost what it's going to cost you in terms of the expansion draft, because you're going to want to protect at home. Got a year left in the deal after this year. So when Seattle comes calling, you want to make sure you've got at home protected. So I, I haven't looked at the, 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 the Jets blue line enough on the expansion draft ramifications, but they would be a team, you know, like there was some talk about at going to Philly. And, and then they were like, well, if you go to Philly and you go in the expansion draft, you can only protect three D you want to protect Provorov. You want to protect Sandheim. You want to protect Ekholm. That means a guy like Phil Myers would be exposed. You wouldn't want to do that. Or if you go to four defensemen in your protection, it means you're going to lose a pretty good forward up front. So that adds to the acquisition cost. In, Van- in Winnipeg, and again, I haven't crunched it and looked at it, but I'm guessing that it would be easier to say, yeah, we'll put Ekholm in with Morrissey and pick one more D and we, we can live with that acquisition cost. So I'll be interested to see whether Kevin Chevaldeoff can step up in that situation. I think he wants to. Yeah. Um, but I don't know that David Poyle will necessarily oblige. And uh, and if not him, then, you know, maybe David Savard is a rental. I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what the prices are and how that goes. But I got to think that Chevy and the Jets are going to try to do something to bolster the blue line because it's the one area that needs attention. Yeah. How do you, uh, how do you think Pierre-Luc Dubois fit in since going to Winnipeg, Bob? I got to be honest with you, Joshua. I, I haven't watched enough hockey on a consistent basis. So a lot of what I do is, uh, you know, I, I did watch games, yeah. um, whatever happened to be on on any given night. And I've seen Winnipeg play a few times and, and I think he's been good um, from what I've seen and from what I've heard. But um, to be able to give you any kind of analysis on it, I wouldn't be doing a, I'd be doing a disservice to him and me. Okay. No, no worries at all. Um, and we'll finish up with the Ottawa Senators. What's your make of, you know, kind of what you saw so far this year and, and thoughts of DJ Smith as a coach, which I think he's a great coach. I like DJ. I, 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 I think he uh, has the ability to impart a message and, uh, and a style to the players of what he expects. And I, I like their work ethic and their structure a lot of nights. Um, they're obviously young. They're obviously got holes in their lineup. But I think Ottawa fans are generally happy slash satisfied 
because they're they're competitive enough in most of the games. Uh, and I think the bar was set pretty low on on that level, but you know, it's certainly as far as wins go. But now, you know, they they just signed Werner Docker. They just signed Shane Pinto. Um, I haven't heard anything on Sanderson other than sounds like he's probably going to stay maybe another year at North Dakota, which is fine. They don't have a problem with that. Um, but I mean, you know, Josh Norris has panned out nicely. Brady Kachuk's being great. Batherson's emerging. You know, um, Brandstrom's maybe not as good as everybody had hoped he was going to be, but he's still a player. So the young guys are filtering into the lineup and they're assuming a bigger and bigger role all the time. They're adding more young guys that gives them more optimism with the Bernard Dockers and the Pintos of the world. They've still got, um, you know, Norris Cummins Stutzel has been fantastic. So all the the pieces and the sort of the, the plan that Pierre Dorian is putting together, I think the fans can see it and feel it and they feel pretty good about it. Um, but that's, that linear development's not always linear. It sometimes spikes up and down and all over the place. And these rebuilds can sometimes take a lot longer than you think they're going to take. And so we're in an optimistic phase right now, I think, for the Ottawa fans. We'll see if that gets justified over the next year or two or three. Want to get a haircut at the same place as Connor McDavid? Do you want a fresh new fade? Go to Shadified Salon and Barbershop. They have five great locations around Edmonton. You can check them out at Shadified.com. Don't forget to ask for the two months discount and receive $5 off your purchase. Shadified Salon and Barbershop, the freshest fades in the city. All right. Well, I, one other thing I wanted to touch on too before we talk about your sons there is, uh, did you, I don't know if you heard the comments with, uh, you know, Elaine Vigneault and Carter Hart. Um, what do you make of that situation in, in, in with the Flyers and, you know, what, you know, what can be done better? In my, in my opinion, Bob, I don't think it's obviously the greatest thing now to kind of call out players publicly. I think maybe, you know, the old school, I am an old school guy, but I think maybe the world we live in at times. And I think maybe something, what he said could have been done behind doors, but I don't know where you come out on this. Yeah. Well, you know, especially with goaltenders, you gotta be really careful. It's like yeah. voodoo. I mean, and especially a guy like Carter Hart, because, you know, what I remember about Hart, at the world juniors, you know, he talked a lot about his routine, but some people would say that routine was almost superstition in terms of the lengths that he went to, to prepare himself to play and the process that he went through, but it was working for him and he played great at the world juniors the second time around. And, and obviously he's done really well so far in the national hockey league, although he's had a terrible year this year and so have the flyers. He's not the only reason they weren't able to replace Niskanen on the blue line. Um, that's a, you know, Chuck Fletcher would tell you that's probably a failing on his part that they weren't able to get somebody. They're looking for that piece as we go to the deadline, but now that the wheels have come off, now he's starting to wonder how much do I invest in in a short-term fix here, realizing that, you know, maybe we're not even going to make the playoffs this year in in that division. It's nuts. I mean, the Islanders are playing so well, Washington, uh, Pittsburgh's back on track and, uh, and, and so suddenly, you know, Philadelphia is not even guaranteed a playoff spot. Um, so the thing about, and I talked about linear develop, the development players. So everybody says Carter Hart's going to be a great number one. He's the, the, the great Canadian hope for goaltending. You know, since Carey Price, this is the guy that's got a chance to be the stud number one goalie who could be one of the better goalies in the National Hockey League. And everybody assumed going into the year, he was great last year. And the Flyers were good. And they're a team on the rise, and he's going to be fantastic. 
And lo and behold, he's not fantastic and the Flyers aren't fantastic and it all gets kind of dumped at his doorstep. He's a young goalie, he's about 21, 22 years old, whatever he is. Development is not an, an automatic that it, you, if you were here this year, you're going to here next year and the next year you're going to go to here, especially with goaltending and even veteran goaltenders. Veteran goaltenders have a tough time sustaining that trajectory or even a level you know, goalies are here and they're there and they're up and they're down and they're all over the place. And so it's not unusual for a 21 or 22-year-old goalie to go through the hard times that Carter Hart's going through. Carey Price is going through them and he's in his 30s. Yeah. Why would we would think that Carter Hart's not going to go through them? So it's a tough one. And goaltenders um, can sometimes be a little more fragile than, um, than other guys. And I think in Philadelphia, there's probably lots of blame to go around and the uh, Lane Vino, his coaching staff, um, everybody on the blue line, the, the forwards up front who haven't played, haven't helped with the defense very much. Uh, they could all stand to look in the mirror and share a lot of the responsibility for that. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that too. So we'll, hopefully they can turn it around too. And, you know, when Carter Hart can get going, obviously it's something close to home. He's an Alberta, you know, product here and a lot of, you know, listeners and followers are, you know, like him on our, on our end here. So um, another hot topic this week in the NHL, Bob, was, you know, does the NHL protect the stars like they do in the NFL and the NBA? You know, we, we saw the incident with Connor McDavid and then Nathan McKinnon this week, both got fined $5,000 each, um, showed a little bit of frustration. Do you think the NHL does a good job protecting the, the star players, Bob? Um, short answer is yes and no. Um, and, and what I mean by that is this. I don't have a problem when Connor McDavid or Nathan McKinnon have the puck. I think you know, within reason, obviously, legally, but they should get a hard time. People should be physical on them. You should be all over them to do everything you possibly can stop them from blowing you out of the water which is what they'll do because they're they're so good they're so dynamic it's hard to do legally and so yeah so if, if, if players are going way across the line when those players have the puck um but they shouldn't get special treatment yeah i don't care if you're connor mcdavid or nathan mckinnon if you've got and, and, and make sure you understand i'm saying when you have the puck you're eligible to be hit. You're eligible to be harassed. You're eligible to be, to, to really get a rough ride from the opposing team. And you should. And that's part of, that, that's the part of the time-honored tradition of hockey that whether it was Maurice Richard or Jean Beliveau or Bobby Hull or every superstar, Guy Lafleur, every superstar of every generation, Bobby Orr, all the way up, they all had to run that gauntlet and, and part of the reason they became as great as they became and became as iconic as they became in hockey is because no matter what you did to them, they still managed to be as dominant as they were. But here's the thing. If it's way across the line when they've got the puck, penalties have to be called. And I think sometimes that doesn't happen. But here's where the rub really comes in. What I've seen, especially with McDavid, the amount of abuse that he takes when he doesn't have the puck where he's just standing there and someone comes in and crashes in and knocks him down from behind, or, you know, he's in the peripheral area of the puck and somebody comes in and really gives it to him. Um, 
that stuff's got to be called. Those are not as the hockey ops likes to call it hockey plays. He doesn't have the puck. He's not eligible to be hit. He's not eligible to be harassed. Same thing with a guy like McKinnon. And if you don't call that, that's where the frustration comes in. That's where these players are taking a mountain of abuse when they don't have the puck. And, And as soon as, you know, that's just, you know, other teams taking liberties and in t- trying to intimidate and get away with a, a style of refereeing that, that that that's where the the stars have to be protected. I'm not saying protect the stars when they've got the protect when they've got the puck on their stick. When they've got the puck on their stick, they're the same as every other player. No protection other than the rules, relative rules of the game. Um, but when they don't have the puck and they're taking physical abuse and some of the crap that I saw Connor McDavid go through. It's understandable why his level of frustration is such that he he takes a poke at a guy like Kotkaniemi. So, you know, it, it, hockey's changed. You, you you know, the enforcers are not going to protect those players anymore. I don't know if they ever necessarily did, but in theory, if you abuse a star player, the enforcer on another team, Dave Tiger Williams, he figured it out. So that was great for the Gary Howitt, the New York Islanders, to take a run at Daryl Sittler. Tiger Williams wasn't going to take a run at Gary Howitt. He was like, okay, fine. If you're going to go at Daryl Sittler, I'm going at Mike Bossy. So fair enough. Here yeah. we go. Let's go. And then inevitably, they Howitt and Williams would end up together. But the players can't police the game. Um, and there's not that natural law of the jungle anymore. The referees have to call penalties on the star players when they're penalty. Yeah. But as I said, I, I give defensive players a little more latitude when those star players have the puck, but I give them zero latitude when those star players don't have the puck. And and there's way too much abuse for those guys when they don't have the puck. Yeah, no, it's, it's very true. Like you saw years ago, Kadri in, in Toronto was giving Connor a, a tough time. And even earlier this year, Neil Pionk and noodles like the quality terrorized, uh, you know, dry and uh, McDavid, you know, in, in that game here in Edmonton about a month ago now. So are you concerned that fighting's up right now, Bob, though? Is that something? That's no, no, not overly. I mean, it, I think it's a byproduct of the teams playing each other so much. I think it's a byproduct of, of, uh, you know, more players, uh, probably, you know, trying to manufacture some enthusiasm too, with no fans in the stands, um, might be a lot of different reasons. There's more players, quote unquote, in the NHL that otherwise wouldn't be in the NHL now with taxi squads and everything. And everybody's talking about how well all these young kids are doing in the American hockey league as a, as a side thing to your question about fighting. And I'm like, yeah, they're they, a, they're good players, but B the American league is just a shell of its former self. Yeah. I mean, you've got you've, the, the first six or seven guys that would normally be on your AHL roster are now on your taxi squad in the NHL. Um, the next group of like that 27, 28 year old, six foot four, 210 pound um, AHL veteran that was just on an AHL deal, a lot of those deals expired and those guys didn't get signed because you wanted to have room to put your young guys in the, uh, the American Hockey League. So, so there are, I think there, there might be, you know, more guys in the league now that are predisposed to say, I, I want to do everything I can to show that I belong. Um, but I haven't even looked at a breakdown of who's doing the fighting. Um, and it might just be that everybody in the pandemic's a little ornery. Um, yeah. uh, that would be understandable if that's, if, if that, and that was the only reason why maybe the gloves are coming off a little bit more. 
But I don't think it's, I don't think in the grand scheme of things, it represents a, a change in the way that hockey is being played and that the, you know, the remarkably low number of fights per game relative to what it was in the 70s and 80s and 90s, whatever, um, is suddenly going to go back to that. I don't see that at all. That I agree with, you know, it's it's probably a bit of a one-off just because of the amount of games you're playing against each other up to, you know, eight to ten times against one team. So, uh, okay, the final one, we'll, we'll touch on your sons here, talk about them. And and first with Mike, uh, how are things going with him? I know things have been tough with, you know, them not being able to play as he is the head coach and general manager of the Kitchener Rangers. Um, so how is he doing and, and are you helping him out a, a lot in in anything you can do as a father? Well, there's a, obviously in Ontario, there's an enormous amount of frustration because these kids that play junior hockey in Ontario, they're looking, you know, they looked at Quebec, which started the season um, and they had to pause it for a while, but they've, they've had, they've had a season more or less in the Quebec major junior hockey league. And and now the WHL has been able to get going in their various provincial hubs. Um, and Ontario hasn't been able to duplicate that. I think they, they may be close to doing that. There's a big sh- you know, the, the COVID numbers that were in another wave here in Ontario and and they've ramped up a lot of the closures and things like that. So that might not be conducive. But obviously, if the OHL is going to come back, it's going to come back in a bubble environment, not unlike the WHL, with a lot of testing that might be able to be over and above what's going on with the, the, the shutdowns. So I still think I'm relatively optimistic, optimistic as anybody can be in this past year that they'll get some games in, in the OHL, probably in later May, later April, early May, it'll be a limited season, obviously not much of one at all. Um, But as for my son, Mike, yeah, it's frustrating for him, but I think, you know, it's it's frustrating for everybody. There's a lot of people that have uh, lost their jobs over the course of the year. There are a lot of kids that haven't been able to play hockey, Um, but he stayed busy. There's there's been a fair bit of scouting of, of things, um, various you know the minor midget hockey in various forms has been going on and stuff so so he's he stayed busy on that front um i offer him uh, unsolicited advice all the time he probably ignores most of it as he should (laughs) um but you know he's um he's looking forward to things getting back to normal whatever normal is whenever normal normal is gonna happen and uh but yeah he'd be looking forward to that but he you know he's he really likes his, his job and uh, being a general manager. And, and I think he's first and foremost a general manager, but he became the interim head coach last year. It went very well. And he decided, especially with the pandemic on that, uh, you know, it would make sense for him for the foreseeable future to be the head coach. And he's looking forward to that when it, whenever it happens. Yeah. Nice. It's uh, he's had a great career and I think he's, you know, a bright hockey mind that we're going to see, you know, whenever he wants to make that jump to the next level, I, uh, you know, follow his career is obviously following yours. And uh, we'll touch on, you know, Sean, he's with Sportsnet. He's with the uh, Zelliot Friedman likes to call sometimes the evil telecom. So he's on the other side, but he's having, you know, he's a guy that knows how to create content, Bob. He's what he's done with the Leafs players when, you know, it was normal and you can go in the locker rooms as a media member and talk about fashion and stuff. But Talk about the, the careers he, he's having, and he's obviously going to do a great cause here with the sick kids, and he's got an Iron Man coming up here too. Yeah, he's um, you know he's doing a great job. I think um, I'm, I'm I'm his dad. I'm probably not the most uh, objective guy in the world, although I 
I always pride myself and always did this when the kids played hockey or whatever. I always felt like I could be ruthlessly objective. Um, but I think he does a really good job. Uh, the ringside reporter host for the, the Leafs on uh, Roger Sportsnet. And, um, you know, he's got some hockey night games coming up here in the next little while. So um, he's happy to be working. And uh, and you're right. He's always looking for new ideas for content. And he's pretty good with social media and some of the cutting edge technology. And he started doing some clubhouse stuff with Chris Johnson and uh, and what have you. So, yeah, we, we talk about the business a lot. Um, again, he probably gets lots of unsolicited advice, just like Mike does. He probably ignores a lot of that, too. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of both kids and the fact that they're doing something that they love. Um, they're getting paid to do it. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a, the, both the businesses they're in are fraught with peril, if you want to call it that. But, um, you know, they decided to go into it and uh, maybe life would have been easier if they were a doctor or a lawyer. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, all those jobs have their own unique problems too. So I'm, I'm proud of both kids and really happy they're doing something that they love. They're, yeah. uh, they're off the, they're off the, the company payroll here. Yeah. <laughs> and talk about the Ironman. More, more so, or less. More yeah, or less. More or less. More <laughs> or less. Exactly. So, um, and quick thoughts on he's going to do an Ironman here. He's been training for it and, you know, it's obviously for a great cause. He's got a link in his Twitter uh, bio if people want to go and donate to that. So just to let everyone know, but quick thoughts on that before we let you go. Yeah. Here. You know what he's, uh, over the last number of years, he's really committed himself to being a lot fitter and, uh, it's amazing the transformation and how hard he works at it. And, and, uh, you know, that Ironman training is no joke. Uh, you know, he, uh, he rode a hundred, he rode his bike from, uh, from, uh, Whitby to, uh, where we live on Balsam Lake, hundred clicks. So 60 miles and then had to go out and it was a pretty cold day too. And he did that recently in the last week or two and then had to, uh, last couple of weeks. It was before we, uh, before I came back from Florida. Um, and, and as soon as he got here, then he had to go on like a, you know, a 10 or a 15 K run. And I'm thinking to myself, man, that's, that's no joke. A hundred clicks on the bike. And, uh, now he, the, the, he hasn't started the swim training yet. And I'm looking out at the lake here and, uh, the ice came out this week and it's, uh, it, it, it's going to be a challenge because uh, swimming was never a strong suit. He's always yeah. been a pretty decent runner, always been a pretty good biker. Um, but he's going to have to get in the water and really, uh, really grind that part of it out. And, uh, so I'm sure a uh, wetsuit is on his uh, list of things to buy and uh, we'll probably be seeing him up here a lot and uh, in time here as, uh, as he gets going on the swim training. Nice. That's awesome. We wish him all the best here at the Two Months Podcast too. So, and the final one, um, you know, I guess once you get back into studio, will there be a mid-season Bob McKenzie draft, NHL draft rankings show and how that yep. will yeah, in fact, um, and I don't think it's been advertised yet, but um, I'm going to start doing some of the preparation work talking to the scouts next week. Um, the uh, And then I'm going to put a bow on it after the trade deadline. So Monday, April 12th is the trade deadline, and I'll be in for Trade Center. Plus, I'm doing a Leaf game that night, my first Leaf regional game of the year in the Ontario area. Um, and then that that week after that, Leading up to the 19th, Monday, April 19th, I believe is the day we've tentatively designated 
as having a 30-minute show that will be on tsn.ca at 11 a.m. Eastern time and will run on the various TSN channels that night. And then all the content will be on tsn.ca on Monday, April 19th. So yeah, the process sort of, it's a two-week process usually, interviewing scouts, doing that. It's kind of interrupted a little bit by the trade deadline. And then I'll get back and finish that off and uh, put a bow on it on April 19th. Nice, nice. Well, that'll be good. So we'll, we look forward to seeing the the rankings. I know this draft might be unusual for, for a Very. lot of people, right? So, um, but it'll be definitely interesting. And it's a, obviously a dream come true to be drafted in the NHL. So these kids, I'm happy they're getting their moment, you know, so. Oh, and, uh, for sure. It's been, yeah. the pandemic's been hard for everybody. And, and that, but I, I feel sorry for, you know, 15 and 16 year old kids that are trying to, trying to play at a level that will allow them to get to the next level. And I, same way with these kids, it's nice that the under 18 is going to be happening in, uh, in Dallas here coming up yeah. Yeah. and that a lot of these top end kids for the 2021 draft, um, most of whom found places to play in Europe or whatever, but um, are going to get, you know, some high level competition with the scouts being able to see them and they're going to get drafted when they thought they would be drafted. That is, in 2021 yeah so um happy for happy for all of them perfect well bob i i can't thank you enough you've been you know a great mentor to me and a, and a great friend here and and you know anytime i've asked you to come on you've you've always uh said yes and i can't thank you enough for your support and you know and learning from you and getting advice from you it, it, it truly means a lot bob thank you so much i appreciate it joshua thanks for having me I, good luck with the podcast keep it going Thank you. Thank you. And uh, all the best to you and uh, have a great summer. So we look forward to seeing you on TV here when we get the chance and all the best to you and your family. Thanks again. All right. Thanks, Josh. You're welcome. This segment was brought to you by award-winning Pete's Concrete, where we pour sidewalks, driveways, patios, or we can build you a beautiful retaining wall with proper drainage. These can be done in a broom finish, exposed aggregate, stamp impression. Also, we offer urethane injection to protect your foundation from leaking. Built to last. Pete's Concrete, 780-940-3784.